But I want to uh, turn our attention to the subject of moms and women by looking at the book of Ruth this morning. Ruth chapter 1. If you would turn there in your Bibles, if you don't know where the book of Ruth is, let me just help you start at the beginning. And you're going to see these books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Uh, Ruth is a four-chapter book of what Bible scholars say is the most feminine of all of the books in the Bible. One of the reasons why? It's written, telling a story about women. Uh, all of the conversations that really take place in this um, letter, this book, are between women. And it is a book about love, about redemption, and about how God has a plan and a purpose, even at times when life seems to be at its darkest. And this morning, that's what I want to focus in on. You can talk a lot of things on a Mother's Day on a great many subjects, some incredibly joyful and exciting. But what I want to do today is I want to talk to the messes of life. And we're going to see some messes in the lives of three ladies this morning in Ruth chapter 1. And let's face it, moms, you're really, really good at helping take care of messes. Growing up in a family of three boys with, with my mom, she took care of a lot of our messes. The physical messes, yes, but the relational ones, the school messes, the, uh, the uh, different dynamics that take place. We would bring mom a lot of our troubles and she would readily take care of it. But what happens when moms, what happens when the women in our lives have messes in their lives, where are they to turn, where are they to go, and we're going to learn today that these three women had some pretty messed up lives, messed up because circumstances and situations had caused them to maybe lose a sense of hope and a sense of peace amidst their life, and what we're going to learn is that there's an example for us in this text of where to turn when life seems pretty messy. Maybe this morning you come in and Mother's Day isn't a very happy day for you. Maybe you're scrolling through social media and you're seeing all these wonderful pictures of, uh, of people with their moms and admiration for their moms and maybe today life just isn't there. What's the word and, and what's the answer for you? I believe there's a lesson here for those who live some messed up lives and how they can turn to their Lord uh, and faithful, be faithful in their response. What we're gonna see in our message today is that God takes the messes of our lives and changes them into miracles. God takes the messes of our lives and turns our lives into something that we would have never thought possible. But we have to respond in a proper way to receive many of those blessings. And so to do so, let's look at Ruth chapter one. And we're gonna read the entirety of the chapter. We're gonna see how life starts out pretty well and then starts getting pretty bad for these women of Ruth chapter one. Let's read this together. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and his name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there for about ten years, and Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law and went to return to the country 
to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she went out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you might find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my wombs that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I should have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of God has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Naomi said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. Father God, we come before this incredible text of this incredible story of these women who have experienced great loss. And it's in this moment on this Mother's Day, a day of great jubilation and excitement for many, that we must recognize for a great many moms, a great many women, life is messed up. Life is a struggle. And I'm so thankful for this example and for this truth that, that even when life is not going the way we want to, that our steadfastness and our love should be resolute for you that we should cling to you and hold tightly to you as our heavenly Father, that we should remember you as the one who loves us and cares for us, that no matter what transpires, we will follow you. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us by the Holy Spirit to do this and that we may learn from this truth and that we may do so to the praise of your glory. We do so in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Three women... Three distinct lives, three distinct personalities, and yet one terrible situation. We're going to be introduced to three women who would lose their husbands. And we're going to see three responses of what to do when life is messed up. 
and how we can see God working miracles amidst it. To do so, let's introduce ourselves to each of these women and see what transpires. And I want you to be thinking about, in the messes of life, how do you respond? Do you think your life is over? Or do you know because of God that your story isn't over and God's got a plan and a purpose for even the most difficult of circumstances and trials that we face? Enter the stage, Naomi. And it is with Naomi that we see a woman who is struggling with defeat. She is struggling with defeat. Now the storyline tells us, while we don't have much information about these ladies, we do know this about Naomi. We know that she's an Israelite woman. We know that she lives in Bethlehem. We know that she is married to a man named Elimelech. And we know that she has had two sons with Elimelech, uh, Malon and Kilion. And life seems to be going pretty well. That is until we are told that there is a famine in the land of Bethlehem. And because of this famine, the inability to raise crops and, and to find provision... Elimelech makes a decision that the Bible has told God's people not to do. God says, I will take care of my people. I will uh, resource my people in the promised land. You stay there. Elimelech is not the only person that makes this decision to leave. But he is the one that is recorded here that he takes his wife and their two sons and they head to Moab, which is a neighboring place where there is no famine. But the problem with Moab is it's a pagan nation, known for pagan worship, the pursuit of a pagan god, a pursuit of things that are contrary to the plans and purposes of God's people. But Elimelech, seeing his circumstances, makes a very earthy, maybe a human decision, and he goes to Moab, takes his family against the wisdom of God, because that's where provision would be found. We're told they're there for 10 years, so it's a long time. And in in that time, while life seemingly is going well, tragedy strikes. The first tragedy is that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. We aren't told how, we're not told why, we're not told when, but he dies. Then we are told in short order that her two sons, Malon and Kilion, the husbands of these two other Moabite women, die as well. Again, not told the timing, not told the reason, not told the condition, but we have these three ladies standing alone. They are widowed. They are by themselves, and now all three widows have no children. This prospect means that life is going to be very hard for them. Their protection, their provision, and husbands are gone. And now they're going to have to live life on their own. Maybe this Mother's Day you have come to a place where life was going really, really well for you, and all of a sudden now, because of a circumstance, a situation, a trial or tribulation, life looks very, very different for you. Your provision, your protection, your outlook on life is gone. What are you to do? Where are you to turn? What prospect or hope do you have? Well, in Naomi, we see her defeat. And let's recognize and know she has good reason to be defeated. She has good reason. She has the most loss of everyone. She has lost her husband. 
no doubt a huge void in her life. To lose your spouse after a great many years is to totally rework your life. It alters your life altogether. But then to lose her two sons, it's one thing to lose a spouse, but to have to bury your children seems totally unnatural, seems totally out of order. And Naomi finds herself losing the three people that she loved the most, was closest to. Now, before we get into how she lived out her defeat, let's give her some props. And she has two unique props about her, meaning two things that she's doing really well. Even amidst her struggle, even amidst her difficulty, notice in the text that the reason why she's going to leave Moab, the text tells us in verse 6, is that she has heard that the Lord has visited his people and given them food. What a great reminder that even in our difficulties, in our trials, in our tribulations, that we should keep our eyes and our ears open and attuned to what God is doing. She had enough in her faith to hear that God is still on the move and a desire to go back to that. And that should be commended. That she could have even a semblance of faith even after that loss is something that should be uh, celebrated. Number two, we need to recognize, and this is so important on this Mother's Day, it is so important for us to see that she had a phenomenal relationship with her in-law daughters. It says over and over again, uh, images and depictions of love. They kiss their mother-in-law. They hug their mother-in-law. They weep with their mother-in-law. She deals tenderly with them. They deal tenderly with her. And it's a reminder this morning, as difficult as in-law relationships can be, that Naomi is an incredible example of what we are called to be. Now, I want you to notice a couple things. Her in-law daughters came from a different country, a different language, a different set of customs. There was a lot that was going on. There was a lot that that relationship between daughters-in-law and mothers-in-law was going to involve. And yet, Naomi found a way to draw her daughters-in-law close to her, not to, in essence, push her away. Now, she'll do that in a couple of minutes here, as we'll see. But before all of this, she had a great relationship with them. Now, Amanda and I are coming into a time where our boys will start introducing us to girls. And we have a choice to make. Now, right away, and, and let's just be honest, as parents, as these in-laws come in, the first response usually, usually is, it wasn't in my case, but usually uh, we think nobody's good enough for our kid. As I said, not in my case. My parents are like, if anybody will take him. <laughs> they loved Amanda. God bless you. You're going to take on that project? You're a saint, okay? But for many, many, right away we say, well, who will be good enough for our kid? And we create challenges for those that our children bring into our lives. We, we create un, 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 uh, 
able to hit the expectations that we have for them. There's none of that here. Naomi has received these women from a different country with different customs, with a different language. She has received them and she has created an environment where it's easy for these in-law daughters to connect with their mother-in-law. And it's a wonderful practical question this morning as how are we doing as our families expand at welcoming those who may be invited into our families because our children have invited them in in the realm of marriage. Are we pushing them away? Are we creating hurdles and challenges for them? Are we speaking ill against them? Or are we, as Naomi is, are we drawing them to ourselves that they would love us and that we would, in fact, love them? What a great reminder, a biblical reminder of the relationship that in-laws need to have and the love and respect that should be there. Now, let's deal with Naomi's struggles. Naomi is utterly defeated. She is discouraged. Some would say she's depressed. She's despondent. And she has good reason. She's lost three of her loved ones. And I want you to notice how complete her defeat is. This isn't just, I'm kind of down about this. She has defined herself in her defeat. She says, first of all, she's defined her relationship with God in a place of defeat. Three different times in our text, she will talk about how the Lord is against her. How God, in many ways, in the original language, hates her, longs for her to suffer, seeks to bring her harm. For some this morning, you are sitting there in your mess, and you are looking at God and saying, even God doesn't love me. Even God is against me. Even God seeks to take away any peace or joy that I have. He, she believes that God doesn't want her to succeed. God doesn't want her to be happy. God longs for her to be hopeless. And maybe this morning, some in your mess find yourself feeling that way towards God. Now, Notice the natural response that happens. She gets to a place that she believes God is against her and her life is hopeless and the human response, notice, to the women that she loves and love her is to push them away. Three times in our text you will see Naomi pushing those closest to her away from her. Go away from me. Go home to your mothers. Go home to your way of life instead of staying. Our natural response when life is so messed up and we've given up hope is we isolate ourselves instead of letting, in some ways, the answer to our need being allowed in. Now, she's double-minded in this. She's utterly double-minded in this because she says of God, God hates me, God is against me, God is treating me harshly, but notice when she is saying goodbye to her daughters, notice in uh, verse eight and in verse nine, she says, go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me that the Lord grant you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. So here she's saying, God is against me, but I'm going to ask that the Lord would bless my daughters-in-law. What you've got going on there is personal belief and public proclamation that don't add up. 
And for some, this morning, in your times by yourself, you say, God, God hates me. God's against me. God's not for me. But then you come to church or, or, or you're around God's people and you say, well, the Lord blessed you. Isn't the Lord good? Well, he's good to you. I pray he'll be good. There's this double-mindedness because she's hurting. And she's trying to wrestle with how can God be so against me and yet be good for others? She's struggling and wrestling with this. And so she pushes away her daughters-in-law and she says, let me be by myself. I am going to be bitter. This situation, this scenario has made her bitter, not better. And for some this morning, your, the messes that have been allowed in your life have caused you to be bitter instead of being better. And now the author says, okay, now that we've looked at exhibit A, Naomi, the defeated one, now we have to ask the question, how would we respond? And it's as if he puts us in the scenario, we could respond like Orpah, or we could respond like Ruth. And so now the tables turn to Orpah. And in Orpah, we see her uh, deciding and, and stepping towards a departure. Now we know even less about Orpah. All we know is she's a Moabite wife, of one of the children, Malon and Kilion of, uh, of Naomi. We know that she has experienced loss. We know that she knows about God's goodness in Bethlehem. But it seems as if Orpah's response, I always gotta make sure I don't say Oprah, Orpah's response, Orpah's response is similar to that of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Remember, Elimelech leaves Bethlehem and goes to Moab against the good wisdom that he knows because he needs to humanly deal with a problem. He needs to take into his own hands the care and protection of his life, and so he makes an unwise decision. It would seem as if Orpah, according to the prodding of Naomi, that she's going to return to that which is familiar. She's gonna to return to that which she knew. We are told by Naomi that Orpah returns to her people and to her God. That phrase there, her people, literally her family, her clan. She's gonna go home and do a do-over. She's gonna to go to her dad and she's gonna have her dad get her a new husband and find a new lease on life. The idea here is this self-reliant pursuit of a fresh start. I'm gonna take life into my own hands. How God has dealt with me probably isn't very good. Just look at my mother-in-law. What has her faith gotten her? And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna fix this problem on my own. Many of us in our messes stop relying on God and start taking up our messes into our own two hands. And we start trying to fix it and address it. But notice it seems to go even farther than that. She's gonna go back to her family and she's also gonna to return to her gods, the text tells us. She had known Jehovah God. She had known the God of the Israelites. She had heard of God's moving. And instead of pursuing him, she goes back to her old way of life. She goes back to the pursuit of the many gods of Moab, the debauchery and, and the sin that Moab was known during that time to have going on in its midst. 
And we hear nothing more of that. She hugs and kisses uh, her mom, her mother-in-law in verse 14, and she leaves. And the Bible says nothing more of Orpah. But the Jewish rabbis have much to say about Orpah. In fact, the commentary of the Old Testament, the Jewish commentary of the Old Testament, the Jewish uh, educational system would have known this to be true of Orpah. Because in the Talmud and the Midrash, which were commentaries on these texts like this, rabbinical writings, this is what the rabbis, the leaders of the Jewish faith said about Orpah. She would go back to Moab and she would have a child. Her child, in fact, she would have numerous children, but her last child would be the most famous of them all. And this, uh, relate, this child would be not born by, in fact, none of her children would be born by, by uh, the love of a husband. But what the rabbinical writing says, and you can study this and see this, this is not just minority opinion, this is vast in the Jewish history, that Orpah gave herself to a life of debauchery and sin. And that in one singular night, she gave herself to a great many men. And in that night, she bore or conceived a son who would become, I believe, one of the most famous non-Israelites in all the Old Testament. Her son, her youngest son, would come up again not too long after this. His name, Goliath. And in Goliath, here he would stand against the people of God. And that Jewish history helps us to understand maybe a little bit more of how Goliath could speak so familiarly to the people of Israel. And we can see maybe even some of the uh, things that are going on. What would have caused David to be so angry and so filled with a desire to avenge God's name if Goliath was his cousin. If there was a family connection, you surely would be all the more angry, all the more upset if one of your own cousins was speaking against your God and your people. Now the Bible doesn't say anything to that, so we're speculating here for a moment But I want you to know what we do know from the scriptures is that Orpah made a decision to leave God and to fix life on her own. We don't have to go any farther. We don't have to go to rabbinical writing to see that. And I don't want to demonize her if she isn't to be demonized. But can I ask this question this morning? Are some of us here in our mess ready to leave the God that we once knew? Are we so lost in our hopelessness and helplessness that we would turn away from God and go to our old way of living? What the writer seemingly says is is that decision isn't the right one. And what he does is for the rest of the chapter, he highlights the third woman in the story, Ruth. And it's in Ruth that we see that she is serious about her devotion. She is serious about her devotion. As Orpah is leaving, notice what Ruth is doing in chapter chapter 1, verse 14. They lifted their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Do you see this compare and contrast happening? There is seemingly why Orpah takes one path, Ruth takes another. 
Now, that word clung to Naomi literally is like glue. In the Hebrew, it is literally the same word as cleaving that we see in Genesis chapter 1. A man shall leave his father and mother and cling or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, like concrete, like cement. And there is this idea that while both daughters-in-law loved Naomi, both had the same information about Jehovah God, both had the same experience of trouble, one walks away and the other one clings. Clings to Naomi, but even more, as we're going to see, clings to the God that Naomi believed in. Now, why does Ruth have a response like this? Many commentators tell us that Ruth may have had a real devout walk with the Lord that she had come to recognize that the gods of Moab were not the gods that really reigned supreme, that the ways of life of Moab were ways that were viewed by her new God as debauchery and debased. And so she makes this decision, I am going to follow God. Notice in verse 16, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. I want to go where God is. Which begs three questions as I close our time this morning as we think about how serious we are about our devotion when the messes of life come. Number one question, who am I following? Who am I following? Ruth follows God. He commits herself to a known God with her unknown circumstances. There is nothing that tells her what her future is going to be like. She has no idea of what tomorrow is going to bring. And what she says is, it doesn't matter. I will follow God. Women of Village Bible Church, if you would be resolute in that, if you would dedicate yourself to that, I will follow God. God has my future. I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to trust in him. It begs the question, then, what kind of level, what level of faith do you possess? So once you make a decision, I'm going to follow God, now the question is, to what length and what level will you follow God? Will you pursue him only when things are good? Will you pursue him only when God gives you the good things? Will you pursue him only when there's success? Or will you follow him no matter what comes? Two individuals in the Bible are spoken of leaving their land because God had called them to another place. The first one is Abraham in the book of Genesis. Genesis is called by God to leave his pagan homeland and go to a new land where God says, I am at. For God to get Abraham from his pagan land to where God is, God has to promise Abraham, I'm going to prosper you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you great. And even then, Abraham has difficulty leaving his homeland and following the plans of God. What we see here in Ruth, a woman from a pagan land, a young woman to boot, is she has, listen to me, a greater level of faith than Abraham did. Because here's what she does. She follows God where God is at, unknown to her, 
with no promises, with no caveats, with no disclaimers, with no purpose of of prosperity on the horizon, she says, I'm going to go for one reason, because he is my God. Are you following God because you believe God is going to prosper you? Are you following God because you believe God is going to make your life comfortable? Or are you, like Ruth, following God because you want to follow him, because you believe he has the answer. The final question we have to ask is, how firm is our devotion? How firm is our devotion to God? Notice in the text, she goes on and she says this, she makes this commitment. She says the following, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and, where, and there I will be buried. And then she brings God back in and says, May the Lord do so to me, and more also of anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more. That word determined is an important Hebrew word. It literally means resolute, devoted, It means that she literally stiffened up to be firm. She made up her mind, resolutely, determined. She made up her mind. And this is where I want to close with this final thought for our ladies in, in our midst today. Over the last year, I've had numerous conversations with ladies in the church and friends, and this is what I've heard a lot of a lot of worry and fear and anxiety about the what-ifs. And there's a lot of what-ifs to worry about. Women have a lot, especially moms, a lot to worry about. And so you're worried about your family. You're worried about your kids. You're worried about them being taken care of and them succeeding and and them not falling into trouble. And and you're worried. and, And the worry comes and the anxiety comes and the distress comes from this phrase, what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if my kids do this? What happens if this happens to my kids or to my family? What am I gonna do when this takes place? What if, what if, what if? And the Bible tells us we aren't to be that way. We are not to pursue those what if questions. But notice that Ruth doesn't work with what ifs. She lives from a place of not what ifs, which lead to anxiety, worry, and despair. But Ruth moves to a place, and I pray that our women and men as well would do this with our parenting and our circumstances and our troubles and our tribulations and the messes of life, that we would move from the what ifs to even if, even if. Ruth says, I'm gonna go to my God and to my new people. Even if things don't work out, I'm with God. Even if things, if I don't get a new husband, I'm following God. Even if I never have children, I'm gonna follow God. Even if I live a life of poverty, I'm gonna follow God. Notice the change from the what ifs to the even ifs. God, if, and Job would say this, if you slay me, I'm still gonna worship you. 
I'm still going to follow you. You want to know what will slay your anxiety and your fear and your concern about tomorrow? Changing your what-ifs into even-ifs. God, I'm with you. And I'm clinging to you. And I'm holding fast to you so that wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. Because I am devoted. I am dedicated. I am determined to follow you no matter what may come. We sang about that earlier in our songs. Come what may. Trials come. Tribulations come. It doesn't matter because while I may not know the troubles that are ahead of me, what I do know is I am with a God who will take care of me. I am with a God who will love me. I'm with a God who will provide for me. Not what if, but even if those troubles come, even if my life falls apart, I know one thing to be true. I have a God who loves and cares for me, and nothing will ever separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So, what mess... Are you dealing with today? Will you allow it to keep you defeated? Will it allow you to depart from all that you know about God and to walk away from him? Or will it create in you the needed fortitude to step out in faith and to believe and trust in God? Can I tell you Ruth's story didn't end there. For three more chapters, we see the provision, protection, and the plenty God would bring to Ruth in her life. And we will learn, even in the opening verses of the New Testament, that Ruth's life wasn't over even after she breathed her last. That in the opening lines of the genealogy of Jesus Christ our Lord, we see Ruth come back. Because Ruth would become the great ancestor, first of all, of King David, Talk about uh, an awesome opportunity. God would see fit to take this pagan, foreign woman and make her the ancestor of King David, the greatest king over all of Israel. But even greater than that, God would take the mess of Moab and turn it into a miracle because we keep reading on in the genealogy and we see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is an ancestor of Ruth herself that Jesus Christ would see fit to enter into her bloodline, enter into her family tree. And it is here that no matter the messes of life today, moms and women, no matter it, your story isn't over. And if you would devote yourself and dedicate yourself to the prospect that God has got it, even if everything goes bad, that God's got a plan, you will see and your descendants will see that God is a faithful God visiting his faithfulness on a thousand generations. And so here we are thousands of years later and we are propping up and we are celebrating the faithful determination of a woman who had a pretty messed up life who dedicated herself to the prospect that amidst the mess she would believe in a miraculous king and a miraculous God. And my prayer this morning is that all of us would do the same. And it is my gift to all the mothers out there to cling to your God, to cling to your Savior, even when the messes of life come, because God is the one who can do miracles. Amen?